Hello and welcome to Ashurst Legal Outlet and this special mini-series on women in tech. My name is Rhiannon Webster and I am a partner within Ashurst's digital economy team. In today's episode, we talk with Daisy Godfrey, who is Head of Legal, Group Digital and Data Protection for Aviva Insurance. In our discussion, Daisy talks through her in-house legal career. Along the way, she reflects on her training in-house, the lessons she's learnt and what she most enjoys about her current role. Hi Daisy, I am really thrilled that you have um, agreed to come and speak to us today. You won't know this, but I talk about you a lot to aspiring solicitors because I think you did one of the most interesting training contracts on the market. Tell the world about it and, um, and tell us about your career to date. Oh, thank you, Rhiannon. That's very kind. And thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm, uh, I'm thrilled to be here. It's very exciting. So yeah, happy to talk about the, my training contract and, and the way that I, I qualified into being a solicitor, which yeah was a, a bit different to, to what some other people have, have done and, and the way that kind of you traditionally qualify. So I did my training contract uh, in-house at Multinational Insurance Company. And I didn't go straight into the legal department. They've, they've got quite a big um, in-house legal team, but I didn't start there because they wanted me to understand their business before I went into the legal department and, and started uh, giving them, them legal advice. So I actually joined the cohort of insurance graduates and I spent the first year of my training contract training to be an underwriter in two of the companies casualty underwriting teams which was a fantastic experience and it did then give me a really good grounding once I did go into the, the legal department to to really understand what the business does how it works to be able to kind of give them that more kind of practical legal advice so that was the first year uh, then I did go into the the legal department and and kind of help out the different teams within within the in-house legal department and then I got to spend uh, nine months in private practice as well so kind of an all-round experience and it was a little bit longer which was a bit annoying it took me two and a half years rather than um, rather than just the two years to to qualify but um but definitely definitely worth it and um, Six months start like a long time at, at the time, but in the grand scheme of things, it really isn't. Yeah, but but not now in the context of your whole career. So that's where we met, wasn't it? Because I was um, on Common at, at said insurer, and I think you, I can't remember whether you were in the business at the time or whether actually it was when you went out to private practice. And then we kind of, we, we didn't actually overlap much from your training contract. We've overlapped quite a lot um, since. I'm intrigued of what you thought about private practice for those is it nine months that you spent in private practice what were the what were the differences and you've you've stayed in-house ever since so I'm just intrigued about the differences and what what you what you prefer about each side of the fence yeah I I did love my time my time in in private practice I did a seat in the corporate department and then a seat in litigation that was really really fun I got to do some very high quality work and learn from some really talented lawyers so I was I was grateful that I was able to go off and and see the other side because it did cement that I wanted to go back to in-house but if I hadn't had the experience maybe there would have always been this kind of niggling doubts that 
maybe I was more suited to, to private practice. But I, I like I like being part of an organization. I, I like really understanding my business and feeling more of a part of it and being able to be a bit more commercial as well. So that, that's what I like about being in-house. I, I really loved being part of a, a cohort of, of trainees when when I went into private practice. Um, that was a lot of fun because there was a lot of a lot of camaraderie. Um, but then I was doing my training contract kind of not long after the 2008 recession. So I was then <laughs> glad when they started trying to get newly qualified jobs that I wasn't having to get involved in that because obviously the insurance company had spent a lot of time and effort and resource in me training me in their business for that year. So I, I felt yeah, they weren't going to let you go <laughs> no. after that. Exactly. So, yeah, so I was grateful for that. So tell me a bit about that year in the business. As an underwriter, you weren't tempted to be an underwriter after that. These are one of the, these careers that I had no idea existed when I was a child growing up. I was um, very much you know, quite academic, so I thought I'll be a, a lawyer or a doctor, and I became a lawyer. And then once I got into, I did quite a few comments, as I said, and that's how we met Daisy. Um, and then I realised about this whole underwriting kind of role, which is very interesting in itself. Let's just say I was exactly the same. I, yeah, I, I did not appreciate that that was a career. And then, and then suddenly I was doing it and I did really enjoy it, but it, it didn't kind of sway me to want to do that instead of the law. I was kind of very much kind of quite, single-minded that that I I wanted to be a lawyer possibly from you know kind of that same conditioning that that you'd had that that was just like kind of one of one of the careers you know but it is a fascinating job and so much goes into it I was I was underwriting for one of the teams I was in they underwrite um, very high turnover companies and the amount of and of understanding of that business that you have to do in order to then underwrite that policy is quite extraordinary and it's very relationship driven as well you you know you have to be to be really good at making those connections and kind of and understanding the the businesses that, that you're underwriting is, is key to that as well because you, you need to be able to, to speak to your clients in, in the way that they understand so yes it's it is very, very skilled and, and I did enjoy it, but it, it, it wasn't for me. But I was just glad that, that after the year was over that actually I did, I did understand it. And because I just, I just think back to, to day one and I, I turned up and I didn't know about insurance. Obviously, I'd, I'd done some <laughs> research for, for my interview and everything, um, but it, it wasn't something that I knew a lot about. I think most children would, but most young people don't, do they? I just, I remember um, there was an insurance module at probably at university now, and I remember thinking, I don't even know really what that is, but why would anyone do that? And then I, as you know, have spent quite a lot of my, my career <laughs> either in-house at insurance companies on secondment or advising insurance companies on data protection. So you, you never know where life is going to take you. Well, you don't. And also it, it's one of those things that, that doesn't sound that interesting, but actually it sucks you in and, and then it is and I say I turned up on the first day and 
it was almost like they were speaking another language because they had all these acronyms. They were talking about retrocession, captives, SIR, and I just... I did not know what what they were <laughs> yeah. saying but actually you get really into it and then and then you're doing it and, and people are looking at you like what are you talking about <laughs> I remember the first time I used the word bordero I mean it was just a very much like an insurance yeah. speak I remember it when I was on to comment and people talking to me about oh yeah the bordero says this it's like the what what are they talking about it's a whole different language isn't it it really is yeah you stayed in insurance after that but what you have done is if I said pivoted but become a data protection expert so how did that happen so again I guess like with insurance for you and me <laughs> it, yep. it just just happened I was supporting once I qualified into the the in-house role at the insurance company I, I was in the UK commercial lines legal team but I was giving quite a lot of support to the lawyer there who was he was kind of doing all the things that weren't insurance related so a lot of it was the commercial and outsourcing contracts but he was also doing competition law and um, IP and data protection so as you can imagine that's that's quite a big remit so he needed some assistance and I started helping him mainly with the data protection side of things some of the outsourcing as well and just really enjoyed it so I ended up taking a role then in the EMEA commercial outsourcing and data protection legal team to do that work instead of the the purely kind of commercial insurance work that I had qualified into doing. Um, And then I think four letters happened which was the GDPR came in didn't it how was how is that in implementing um it in a large organization at that time I was back in private practice kind of at that point but advising clients but I don't really know what it was like from the inside especially in in something as a big organization that you were in yeah I'm sure for both of us it was just very very hectic and busy but actually I loved it and I I see that time as being a real highlight in my career because it was a real turning point for me in terms of my confidence suddenly there was this new regulation everybody needed to know about it everyone did sit up and take notice because of the fines and I was one of the only experts that people could go to and ask and um and that gave me a lot of exposure it gave me a lot of responsibility I was involved in setting up and implementing the GDPR programme across all of the European offices. So I got to meet a lot of different people and it was a lot of hard work, but it was also a lot of a lot of fun. And as I say, I, I, I see that as, as being being a real a real highlight. And it really put put privacy law on on the map, which, which is <laughs> nice because people would well not ignore me before no I know people didn't really listen to us before did we we were not very interesting um (laughs) people with with topics but then suddenly we became the people that people wanted to talk about you once told me about messaging within the insurance company did you do something in front of a green screen at some point 
we did yeah so we did a lot of um activities to try and engage people into what what the responsibilities were under the the new regulation so one of the things we did was a, a series of videos where um informative educational videos that we filmed in front of a, a green screen and and that was a lot of fun and another thing we did on on the day we on the day the GDPR came into force we um at the headquarters office we, we gave our cupcakes with GDPR written on them just <laughs> I had one of those cupcakes they were very nice <laughs> thank you uh, this is anything to get people interested and to come and ask us questions um but yeah the recording of the videos in front of the green screen was was a lot of fun and, and that was the whole thing about the the program really it, it was a lot of opportunities to get involved in in things that I hadn't done before. Yeah, it's not your typical day as a lawyer, is it? Doing a video in front of a green screen. But it's really important to get the, the, the message out. So I'm always interested in hearing from our clients about how they are embedding data protection within their organisation and making sure that the message is out. And um, to date, though, you are the only um, one that I know who has, who has done a video in front of a, of a green screen. What's been your biggest success to date? Sure. So I left the company um, where I'd, I'd started and I'd, I'd trained just before coming up to my 10 year anniversary, really. So I, I did a, a long stint there, but um, but then I was looking looking for that change. Um, as I'd said, the the experience rolling out that GDPR program had, had given me that responsibility. So I, I, I felt ready then to take the next step. So I, I moved on to another multinational financial services company um, where I was their sole dedicated EMEA privacy council. And then after that, I moved to Aviva, where I am now. And I joined as a senior counsel in the team. But as of June last year, I head up the team. So um, so I got promoted in, in June and I, I don't want to kind of jinx anything by, by <laughs> saying it but actually I would say that was the biggest success so far now that I'm, I'm leading a team of lawyers um, to do digital and data protection work. Yeah, that's great it's a it's um, we were so excited when you got promoted because it, it was very well deserved. What's your favourite bit about your role now? Can I give the really corny answer and, and say... Yeah, go for it. <laughs> it's the team. There's seven of us. Um, sorry, there's, there's eight of us and there's seven people in the, the team that I manage. They're just such a brilliant team of amazing lawyers, wonderful people. And I feel really lucky that I get to, get to lead, lead that team. So, so that's my favourite thing. It also helps that we're super collaborative and we all come from slightly different backgrounds. So as I've been talking about, I'm kind of financial services through and through, but we are a digital team and a lot of them come from, um, from fintechs or, or startups or kind of the more technology side of things. So we have different experiences that we bring to the work, which is really important because the variety of what we do is massive we support the whole group so we support all of the different products um, and businesses that that Aviva has 
Um, also, the remit is quite wide being digital and data protection. So we can be kind of one day we might be kind of working on an app or we might be um, feeding into a regulatory consultation or assisting our M&A colleagues. It's yeah, it's very varied. No, no day is ever the same. So that would be one of my other favorite things about it as well. Do you like managing people? I love it. And if you'd asked me whether I wanted to be a manager several years ago, I I might have said no, because I was very much focused on kind of honing my technical expertise at that time. But so that's been one of the surprises of this role, actually, just quite how much I've enjoyed it and enjoyed that people side of things. And then the strategy side of things as well. It's it's nice to be able to look at the bigger picture. Whilst I was able to do that somewhat in the roles that I'd had before, now I have a team that can implement that strategy. It's it's a lot easier to, to think about the strategy as opposed to kind of the role I was in previously at the, the previous company I was at. It was it was just me. So I could have a, a strategy for, for myself. But <laughs> Yeah, but that's not the same. It makes for such a much more rewarding day job of life, doesn't it? When you're looking at those the, the bigger picture things and working out what the priorities should be. And also, I, I imagine working with the strategy of Aviva it, itself and making sure that you're aligned with that strategy. Yeah, that's really important. We've um, we've we've got a CEO who's very clear on what our strategy is and what we need to deliver, and so it's. It is really rewarding to be able to link what we do back to how that contributes to the to the wider business. Exactly. You feel rather than I imagine that you feel rather than a, a cost, because what that's what sometimes legal teams can feel like within an organization to actually something which is enabling and driving the strategy. And I imagine, especially with data protection, actually, that that must because because I often feel that we are I'm definitely not a lawyer that says no but you obviously have to pay for advice and the advice is generally that you need to do something a bit differently or you need to do something more and that means spending money on it so your news is not usually good news <laughs> but once you're within an organization it must be really rewarding to be to be trying to work with them to to deliver a strategy which ultimately is going to make money for them yeah, that hits the the nail on the head, Rihanna. And that's exactly what I love about it is coming up with those solutions. And the great thing about Aviva is that we, you know, we want to improve the customer digital experience. So that leads to a lot of interesting work. Um, but equally, we want to do the best for our customers. So you know, that's also important. So so the advice does get listened to, which which is good because I can only assume that that's probably not the same everywhere. No, I think that's right. But you've got to work hard to be given that voice and it must be all credit to you that you have that voice within a paper and a listened to. Moving on to theme and International Women's Day, I want to talk to you about female role models. Do you have any? This one's quite a difficult one, really, because I kind of think growing up, I, I didn't really have any legal role models because I I wasn't really in in a world where I I knew any any lawyers so it was only really once 
I came to work that I would see these females in these senior positions and could be inspired by that. So, so that's why I think it is really important to, to make sure that there is that diversity at the top. Mm. Actually, I think financial services is still massively trailing behind there. I, I think I, I did hear a stat for International Women's Day that the gender pay gap in financial services is at minus 25%. I think there's still a lot to, to do. Um, but saying that throughout my career, I have been really inspired by um, a lot of a lot of women that that I've worked with. And, you know, yourself included in that, Rhiannon, it's really been really great to see your career go from strength to strength as mine has been progressing as as well. Thanks, Daisy. Daisy, mutual appreciation society. <laughs> I've loved to watch you go all the way through too from the day we met when you were a trainee and I wasn't that much more qualified than you at the time I think I was a two or three years qualified at the time um, and then we've watched both our careers grow over the years which has been I think rewarding for both of us so what do you think are the what are the top skills that you think it's important for young women in our industry to have in particular for a successful in-house career so I think for in-house the main thing is knowledge of your industry and of your organization so that you can give that practical commercial legal advice that I've been speaking about. I often also get asked kind of what are our peers doing and so it's good to be able to keep abreast of of what is happening across the industry and going to industry events and and reading uh, industry papers is is important for for making sure that you are keeping up to date with those those sorts of things um, and it's also nice to go to the events because more often than not you meet people who are kind of having the similar similar challenges that that you are and that can be that can be quite reassuring it's like group therapy sometimes isn't it um but yeah we we always get asked what the rest of the market are doing so it's invaluable to keep talking to our clients like you to find out of where you are with certain compliance programs and things and it it means that you're giving the right advice because nobody likes especially with data protection nobody likes to be ahead of the pack nor behind the pack they want to be in the pack so you need to kind of make sure that you're um kind of up there not not creating a compliance risk but also not an overly compliance burden too yeah i think that's that's right and that's where i say that that knowledge comes so handy but in terms of whether someone if someone was thinking about going in-house I probably would advise them just to give it a go if if possible whether that's through a secondment or I found out about in-house work and when I was applying for training contracts I I only really considered in-house because I'd done an internship in the legal department of a film production company so had I not done that internship, I, I may not have appreciated that actually in-house legal training contracts were a thing. So I think give it a go and you might like it. <laughs> yeah, no. I think people definitely would. I, I think I, having watched you do what you did, I thought I really did, as I said at the opening, thought it was one of the more interesting training contracts on the market at the time. I'm going to come back to you know, when we were talking about the green screen 
earlier that's pretty innovative for getting the message out and spreading the data protection word have you seen anything since like tech used in innovative ways in-house either for spreading the data protection word or generally for legal services being in insurance I think the the mentality or the the assumption is that actually insurance companies don't they're not innovative they're not using new tech they tend to be quite big organizations traditionally maybe they've been around for a very long time so so they're kind of seen as being very slow to adopt new tech or or be innovative but I do think that that has changed now and actually the prevalence of insure tech is something that proves that I think you know insure tech wouldn't wouldn't have been a a thing many years ago but but now it is it is big business and I also think what's helped is that regulators have more of an appreciation that companies need to be innovative and they need to Mm. facilitate that because financial services being so heavily regulated you know as you were saying before they may not necessarily want to be ahead of the pack doing something brand new and innovative in in case something went wrong but actually things like regulatory sandboxes and um and the fact that there are kind of initiatives that are are coming out around like open finance um open banking that all feeds into to more of a culture of of being more innovative and and more adoptive of um of new technologies and actually insurance is a space where they could really, really, and they they are really, really benefiting from the fact that they can use AI and 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 things like that to to really improve the insurance experience and improve personalization, improve risk pricing. That's that's all something that has been massively helped by adopting new technology. And I suppose the obvious example of of that would be the telematics box that you have in your car and records your driving because you then get a score based on how well you drive and that directly impacts your price to make it personal to to your risk. There's definitely lots that insurance and financial services are doing to adopt new tech and it's only going to increase and for me, that's what makes my role so fascinating because the law can't always keep up. And but actually, you still have to come up with a solution for it and you still have to to apply the law to the new situation. So I, I, I really enjoy that element of the job. It's really interesting when new technologies come out, isn't it? Because I always I love finding out about them it's been quite a few years now with telematics isn't it but I remember I was advising on one of the first telematics deals in the UK I was fascinated by the idea of this um of the thing that could record driving behavior and at the time it was and I think it probably still is really targeted at the the 17 year olds who'd been priced out of the market and because the insurance was so high but give them a telematics box that could actually record their risk profile in real life and it would mean that they're um, it was an affordable insurance premium. So actually it was for the public benefit. So it was, as you were saying, it's bringing everything together. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of collection of data, but generally it's for the, for the public good. And it was giving these 17-year-olds a premium that they could 
afford and then it was all very interesting making all that data protection compliant and making sure that it was a new technology that that, that we had to probably at the time actually fit back into the old law this is pre-gdpr the same principles obviously applied but that's actually what i love about data protection is it's it's so it's such well, it's principle based which means that it it should survive new technologies but we have to keep on kind of thinking about how it applies in the context of those new technologies. I completely agree and maybe the next MOSA insurance thing we'll have to work out how to how to advise on is um, autonomous vehicles. Yeah, I was going to say autonomous vehicles and all the things around that, isn't it? That's going to be the next thing with the amount of data that that's going to collect um, about the people who are in it. That's a whole different minefield that I'm sure we will be grappling together (laughs) for the years to come. I'm sure. I often get asked what advice I would give my younger self. So I'm going to ask you that question. Oh, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I, I still feel like I learn something yeah. new every single day. So I don't feel like I'm necessarily in a position to, to give advice. I would probably just say, try to enjoy it. Because time does go by very fast. And it's, yeah, just, just enjoy yourself and appreciate things in the moment because you will look back on them fondly even if at the time it seems like you won't <laughs> a lot of the time actually I think yeah in, enjoy it and probably try not to worry about the things that you can't control but as we all know that's that's easier said than done so maybe that's that's not great advice because it's, it's not very easy to um, put into practice as I get a bit wiser, <laughs> wiser, older, a bit of both maybe, um, I often think when I'm having a particularly stressful time at work with this particularly horrible project that is you know, all going wrong in the way that projects often can, I always look back over the years and think actually it's from those projects that I have learned the most and actually in hindsight were highlights of my career. So how, however dark the day it feels, I always think that actually in a few years time I will look back on this number one and laugh um, and number two be a lot wiser and know how to do it differently in the future so I think we're on a similar theme there and so the next chapter what what happens next I I think of you as still very junior in your career or they you're not junior in your career at all but there's so much more that um, could happen next so what what will happen next do you think from your perspective it's probably again probably bad advice but I've I've never been one of those people that's had a five-year plan or a 10-year plan. And I say, I know that goes against the the grain as to what we're told we need to do, but actually my career hasn't necessarily gone where I thought it would go, but for the better. And when I look around at other people I think a lot of the opportunities that people have have had maybe weren't ones that they they thought that they would want or they thought they would would get so it's very hard to to plan for things I think certainly 
at the moment, my focus is just on growing into the role that I have and doing the best job that I can and and yeah, seeing seeing where life takes me really. Thank you very much, Daisy. I have really enjoyed our conversation today. So thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, thank you, Rhiannon. It's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to our special mini-series on Women in Tech. If you enjoyed this episode and don't want to miss the rest of this mini-series, please subscribe to Ashurst Legal Outlook wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, feel free to leave us a rating or review. If you'd like to find out more about Ashurst, please visit www.ashurst.com. In the meantime, thanks very much for listening and goodbye for now.